Welcome to Litigation Nation. I'm your host, Jack Sanker. Today's stories, Russia invades Ukraine. How are U.S. companies and U.S. law firms responding to the sanctions issued against Russia by the United States? Does an elephant have the right to habeas corpus? A contentious lawsuit in New York raised important questions on non-human personhood. And the Biden administration is ramping up its white-collar prosecution of individuals that may have defrauded the federal government in terms of COVID financial assistance. All of that and more, here's what you need to know. First, before I get into the stories, let's be clear what's happening in Ukraine right now is a unilateral act of aggression that was utterly unprovoked. People will die. There is no silver lining. At the show here, we spent some time this week looking for how lawyers may get involved outside of donating money, which you should all do, by the way. I couldn't come up with much of anything. Part of that is because there's no concerted U.S. effort to evacuate refugees. Quote, we're in a place right now, like with most crises, where there is a mismatch of interest of the lawyers who want to help and the opportunity to help, said Stephen Schoolman, who leads Aiden Gump, Strauss, Howard, and Fields pro bono practice. Quote, I don't expect that mismatch to last long. Reportedly, most of the refugees from Ukraine are going to neighboring European nations, so the usual avenue for lawyers to help, immigration, is not an extreme area of need right now, at least in the U.S. I only bring this up because if anyone's listening out there who does know a way that lawyers could help, please let us know in the comments and reviews, and we will push it out via our streams. Now, on with the show. Up first... International U.S. firms are navigating the new rounds of sanctions with Russia. Some are even cutting ties with their clients in the face of the sanctions. First, a broad overview of the sanctions imposed against Russia by the U.S. and its allies. Full disclosure here, I was a history major before going to law school, not a geopolitics person, so this isn't exactly in my wheelhouse. I'm just going to list what I think are some of the most noteworthy sanctions and try my best to explain them. From a CNN article published on February 28th, First, Russian banks have been banned from SWIFT this past week. SWIFT is a high-security encrypted network that facilitates transactions between about 11,000 banks in 200 countries. My understanding of SWIFT is that it's the language that banks talk to each other in, basically, and by kicking Russian banks off the network, it makes moving money in and out of the country extremely slow and even impossible in certain scenarios. I saw economic and geopolitics commenters calling it the nuclear option of economic sanctions, for example. Switzerland, the bastion of neutrality and financial opaqueness, is freezing assets of Vladimir Putin and certain Russian oligarchs. France is going after luxury goods such as yachts and other luxury vehicles. Japan is limiting transactions with Russia's central bank. The list goes on. Seemingly, more are announced every day. So how is this affecting Russia? Well, at the time of recording this, the Russian ruble hit a record low of less than one cent in value when converted to USD. The ruble has been tumbling since sanctions were announced this past week. Videos of Russians withdrawing cash from ATMs to buy electronics and luxury goods so as to lock in value before the conversion rate drops even further went viral over the past couple days. And the Department of Justice actually just launched Task Force Klepto Capture, which is a great name, by the way to enforce the sanctions domestically. Quote, we will leave no stone unturned in our efforts to investigate, arrest, and prosecute those whose criminal acts enable the Russian government to continue this unjust war, unquote, says U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland in a statement. Let me be clear. If you violate our laws, we will hold you accountable. In another statement from Deputy Attorney General Lisa O. Monaco, quote, to those bolstering the Russian regime through corruption and sanctions evasion, 
We will deprive you of safe haven and hold you accountable. Oligarchs, be warned. We will use every tool to freeze and seize your criminal proceeds. The department said Klepto Capture will be fully empowered to use the most cutting-edge investigative techniques, including data analytics, cryptocurrency tracing, and intelligence from financial regulators, the private sector, and foreign sources. That sounds like the DOJ and the White House mean business, which could complicate even legitimate representation of clients who could have dealings or holdings or interests in Russian businesses. So how are U.S. firms responding? Well, the big four accounting firms, EY, KPMG, PwC, Deloitte, all put out similar statements this week that they would be, quote, complying with all sanctions. PwC and KPMG mentioned in statements that they might mean leaving some of their Russian clients. However, when an accounting firm says it will comply with a regulation, we all know that does not mean that they won't try to avoid it. Accounting firms comply with tax regulations, for example while simultaneously helping their clients avoid that tax. So there's a real chance that American workers, or at least American companies, are or maybe will be working to help Russian oligarchs, potentially the Russian government, avoid American sanctions. According to a recent Law 360 report, the big four accounting firms have over 30 combined offices in Russia. So what about law firms? Well, as I mentioned in the intro, there's not a whole lot that can be done right now there isn't expected to be a huge influx of Ukrainian refugees to the United States, for example, as most will be going to neighboring European countries. International firms in Poland, however, are aiding with visa applications and immigration issues. Let me just say, if a Russian oligarch reaches out to you to help untangle their assets from international sanctions, think about why the sanctions were imposed in the first place, to create pressure internally in Russia to stop the invasion of Ukraine. If you help Russian companies and oligarchs avoid sanctions, you are relieving that pressure. Just keep that in mind. Up next, a thought-provoking read out of The New Yorker this past week entitled, quote, The Elephant in the Courtroom. I don't want to scare everyone off because I actually think this is a really great story, but I do want to warn everyone at the top that this story contains references to slavery, abortion, animal cruelty, and other sensitive topics. If you want to skip it, Go to the time code that we'll have put in the episode description below. A writ of habeas corpus was filed on behalf of an Asian elephant named Happy in the Bronx Zoo in New York. That's right. Someone filed a writ on behalf of a zoo animal. In New York and basically everywhere in the United States, animals are not considered persons. They are considered shadow, i.e. property. We know that, right? Animals, as much as we love them, are not, quote, people. However, in Hungary, Costa Rica, Chile... Elsewhere, courts in these countries have issued rulings that expand the definition of personhood to seemingly include certain animals. We'll have many examples of that as this article goes on. One is in India, where the country banned the capture and confinement of dolphins and orcas because they were proven to be so intelligent that they should be considered, quote, non-human persons and have expanded rights beyond that just of chattel property. In Argentina, according to the New Yorker article, an orangutan named Sandra was a non-human person entitled to freedom. In Pakistan, the Islamabad High Court ordered the release of an elephant named Kavan for similar reasons. And sure, okay, these are kooky rulings from other countries. That would never fly in the U.S., right? Well, in October of 2021, a U.S. court recognized that a herd of hippopotamuses brought to Colombia by Pablo Escobar yes, that Pablo Escobar, were interested persons in a lawsuit that would ultimately prevent their extermination. 
across the pond in the UK, Boris Johnson is backing a bill that would consider the effect of government action on any, quote, sentient animal. So there is a ton of movement internationally, including in America, towards extending at least some rights to the animal kingdom. Back to New York and Happy the Elephant. The plaintiff who had filed the writ on behalf of Happy, an organization called the Non-Human Rights Project, apparently had bounced around to several different courts in New York with no success filing similar claims on behalf of chimpanzees. Rulings in these cases read, quote, the asserted cognitive and linguistic capabilities of a chimpanzee do not translate to a chimpanzee's capacity or ability like humans to bear legal duties or to be held legally accountable for their actions, unquote. The Non-Human Rights Project actually had a pretty good counterargument. Quote, probably 10% of the human population of New York State has rights, but cannot bear responsibilities either because they are infants or they are children or they are insane or they are in comas or whatever. Okay, fair point. The context of the writ is that Happy, who in the wild would typically range many miles a day, is locked into a pen that is about the size of a city block. Some history on Happy. According to a database maintained by Dan Cole, a Swedish elephant keeper, Happy was sent to a drive through zoo in Laguna Hills, California, which had purchased her and six other baby elephants, naming them after the seven dwarves. One of them, Sleepy, died soon after the arrival. The others were eventually transferred. Dopey and Bashful became circus performers. Sneezy went to the Tulsa Zoo, where he still resides. Doc, renamed Vance, broke his leg while doing a hind leg walk in a zoo in Ontario. Eventually, he was euthanized. That left Happy and Grumpy, who arrived in 1977 at the Bronx Zoo, often ranked as one of the world's best zoos. Jeremy Brennanry, the director of the Bronx Zoo, was interviewed by The New Yorker and said, quote, We are forced to defend ourselves against a group that doesn't know us or the animal in question, who has absolutely no legal standing, put a pin in that, and is demanding us to take control over the life of an elephant that we have known and cared for for over 40 years, unquote. He went on, They continue to waste court resources to promote their radical philosophical view of personhood. The Non-Human Rights Project has offered to dismiss the case of Happy as released to a wildlife sanctuary. The Non-Human Rights Project founder, Stephen Weiss, is detailed in the piece. Somewhat typical leftist history of being radicalized in college and through reading the work of utilitarian philosopher Peter Singer called Animal Liberation, which sparked Weiss on his trajectory that has him currently arguing for the personhood of Happy the Elephant. Peter Singer's work builds on Enlightenment-era work of Jeremy Bentham, another philosopher and legalist who once wrote on the question of rights for animals, quote, the question is not can they reason nor can they talk, but can they suffer, unquote. Anyways, Weiss, the founder of the Non-Human Rights Project, was transformed by these writings and started the organization. He has written in books that the cognitive ability to perceive and even think for apes, elephants, Dolphins, whales, dogs, African gray parrots, and honeybees were so high that the animals ought to be rewarded rights and personhood status under the law. The NHRP started bringing suits on behalf of chimpanzees in New York. They found several imprisoned chimpanzees that basically lived their lives in cages. One in particular was named Tommy. He was found in a cage in Albany watching cartoons. Yes, apparently the chimps watch cartoons. Chimps. Chimps named Hercules and Leo were found in a lab on Long Island where they had been locked inside for six years while scientists studied their movement patterns. These lawsuits were ultimately unsuccessful. 
However, on appeal, there does seem to be some progress in convincing the hearts and minds of the judges, with Judge Eugene Fahey authoring a concurrence on the cases of Tommy and Kiko the chimps, where he said, quote, the issue of whether a non-human animal has a fundamental right to liberty protected by the writ of habeas corpus is profound and far-reaching. It speaks to our relationship with all of the life around us. Ultimately, we will not be able to ignore it. While it may be arguable that a chimpanzee is not a person, there is no doubt that it is not merely a thing. So this is where things got serious for Weiss. The next round of lawsuits included amicus filings from famous legal scholars like Lawrence Tribe from the Harvard Law School, who noted that just as chimps are considered property now, women and, of course, African Americans were once considered property not all that long ago. Apparently, Weiss favors a particular case from 1772 involving famous legal scholar Lord Mansfeld in the case of James Somerset, a black man who was enslaved and set to be sent to Jamaica and sold on the slavery market. Somerset escaped but then was caught, and the case ended up before Lord Mansfeld, who eventually ruled that though Parliament or the Crown had not yet outlawed slavery, Somerset was a, quote, legal person. And Mansfeld famously ruled in a wondrously British sentence, Quote, let justice be done, though the heavens may fall, unquote. And he ruled that slavery was so odious that the common law could not support it. Weiss, for the NHRP, uses this case in his arguments. And I'll read an exchange from oral arguments excerpted from the New Yorker piece. Quote, that was the beginning of the end of slavery, first in England and then at least in the northern part of the U.S., Weiss said. Did they actually say the person who was enslaved was a person, the justice asked? No, they said he was free, he had rights, Weiss responded. A person is an entity who has the capacity for rights. Any entity who has a right was automatically a person. That's not what we were arguing here, the lawyer for the zoo said. We are arguing rights or duties. Lord Mansfeld never inquired as to whether James Somerset could bear duties, Weiss replied. It didn't matter, what, matter whether he could bear duties. He was entitled to rights. Weiss has made all kinds of arguments illustrating the concept of personhood is distinct from the concept of humanity. Weiss also brought up a 1972 abortion case, Byrne versus New York City Health and Hospitals Corporations, which he said was a, quote, spectacular case for showing that humans and persons are not synonyms. In Byrne, the question was whether a fetus was a person and had the right to life. The New York Court of Appeals ruled that a fetus may be human, but it is also not a person. Now, there are many, many historical instances of the concept of personhood being extended to animals for punitive purposes, for example. In the past, a number of animals, including elephants, have been subjected to capital punishment. And stories like that now strike us as morally perverse, of course. But in 1916, following a circus performance in Tennessee, an elephant named Big Mary killed her handler. A local magistrate ordered that Big Mary be hanged. A chain was placed around her neck, and she was slowly hoisted off the ground. The chain broke. Big Mary landed and shattered her pelvis. Eventually, another chain was found, and she was hanged successfully. Get this. The circus other elephants were made to watch the execution by court order. Here's another one cited in the piece. In 1906, a human being was locked in a cage and put on display. 1906, by the way. Otta Bangman, a man from the Congo who was at the time described as a pygmy, was placed alongside an orangutan. Bangham's teeth were filed to point so that he would look like a cannibal. Bangham actually ended up at the Bronx Zoo after being 
hosted in the American Museum of Natural History. Again, basically as an exhibit, like an animal. Eventually, he was released, returned to Africa, and killed himself. Weiss, on behalf of the NHRP, thinks Bangham's story is similar to that of the animals in captivity. In any event, in February of 2020, Weiss and the NHRP lost. The presiding judge wrote, quote, This court agrees that happy is more than just a legal thing or property. She is an intelligent, autonomous being who should be treated with respect and dignity and who may be entitled to liberty. Nonetheless, we are constrained by the case law to find that Happy is not a person and is not being illegally imprisoned. The judge stated that the legislative process was better equipped to decide whether zoos should be allowed to keep the elephants or not, but she noted she found the arguments, quote, extremely persuasive for transferring Happy from her solitary, lonely, one-acre exhibit at the Bronx Zoo to an elephant sanctuary on a 2,300-acre lot, unquote. So this story reminds me a lot of a story I highlighted in episode nine a few weeks back when Montana residents are suing on behalf of future generations for their right to a clean and healthy climate. The parties in that case are seeking to expand standing to unborn future generations. Here, Weiss and the NHRP are trying to expand it to a certain sentient animals. Whether you think elephants are persons or not, this trend of taking non-humans and calling them a person is deeply rooted in American law, of course. Corporations are people with First Amendment rights, for example. Churches, nonprofits, etc. have all been afforded certain personhood statuses. It's a great reminder that the rule of law is what we, the royal we, say it is. There's nothing inherently human in the concept of personhood. If there were, it wouldn't apply to Hobby Lobby or to Walmart or to Amazon or Super PACs. Whether that means animals should be legal persons is another question. But the reason I covered this piece is because I went into the subject highly skeptical that the argument for animal personhood had any legal basis whatsoever, and came out of it with a ton of questions regarding the ideas argued by Weiss and the Non-Human Rights Project. Ultimately, the law is what we make it. It can change if we want it to. Weiss and the Non-Human Rights Project seem to be persuading judges even as they lose the lawsuits, which tells you, regardless of those lawsuits, changes are happening. Our last story of the day, the Department of Justice is hiring and it wants white-collar prosecutors. This from Law 360. President Biden's budget is setting aside $36.5 million for hiring another 120 white-collar prosecutors who would go after white-collar fraudsters in connection with the suspected wide-scale fraud by companies accepting COVID aid. The White House also wants to fund more than 900 FBI agents in their investigations of the same. Attorney General Merrick Garland said, quote, as a defense attorney, prosecutor, and judge, I have seen the Justice Department's interest in prosecuting corporate crime wax and wane over time, he said via a live stream. Today, it is waxing again, unquote. Apparently, the emphasis will be on prosecuting individuals rather than obtaining corporate fines. Garland emphasized that prosecuting individuals is the DOJ's top corporate enforcement priority. Those cases, according to Garland, bolster public trust, maximize deterrence, and prevent shareholders from bearing the price of wrongdoing, Garland said, though he acknowledged prosecuting individuals can be difficult. You got to think that there was a lesson learned after the 2008 financial crisis and the blowback from that. White-collar criminals got bailed out, banks paid fines, but nobody went to jail. So everyone still believes that the real culprits from the 2008 meltdown got off scot-free. 
That was the theme over the past two presidential elections, for example. In 2016, Hillary Clinton, Bernie Sanders, and Donald Trump all were critical of the fact that no one went to jail after the 2008 crisis. That was also a topic that came up in the 2020 elections. So Joe Biden seems to have interpreted that as a legitimate public concern. And rather than seek to impose fines on companies, which amounts to a slap in the wrist, prosecuting individuals has become the DOJ's top priority. All right, everyone, that's the show. Thanks for listening. A reminder that new episodes come out on Tuesdays. Some news, we are finally on YouTube where you can watch a video of this podcast. Apparently, as we sit here, we have dozens of fans on YouTube. Uh, So if you're into that kind of thing, go ahead and check it out. Otherwise, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.